0: Your inspiration will soar, your art will improve, your posing will become more fluid, and your confidence is going to increase so, so much. And honestly, your clients are going to feel so much more comfortable. Head on over to themilkyway.ca slash family retreat. It all gets underway May 29th, and we hope to see you there.
1: The goal here is producing work you care about. I look at famous filmmakers And I've heard some interviews from them and they talk about how they don't know when they're making a movie, if it's going to be a hit or not. A lot of times they'll think it's gonna be, but it's somehow it doesn't come together. It doesn't connect with the audience. Or maybe it connects with an audience 10 years later. Sometimes they're a little before their time, but they keep working. You have, they have their flops, they have their masterpieces, but they keep working. And I think it's really important to put ourselves in a context with other creatives all the time. Not every song that your favorite artist puts out is one you love, they keep writing
0: more. Welcome to the Art and Soul Show, where we dive into heart-opening chats on photography, business, life, and that messy in between. I'm your host, Lisa DeJaso, a mom, a photographer, and entrepreneur, and I'll be sharing honest conversations and advice for photographers with insight on mindset, entrepreneurship, and creativity. The goal of this podcast is for you to be able to gain insights and strategies that will give you real results. Because let's face it, having a photography business can be lonely, but it doesn't have to be. This is a place you can go when you need a boost of encouragement, a kick in the pants, and inspiration to pick up your camera. This is the Art and Soul Show. There are certain conversations in our lives that you don't realize are totally life-changing. I spoke with Jessica Drossen in early 2017 at a point in my business when I was feeling stuck and frustrated. I was overbooking myself with clients and not doing enough personal projects and really feeling I had put myself in a box. I was scared to step out of my style. She asked me a simple question. Are you creating work that you love? Shooting the kind of images that you are so excited to go and edit, you can barely finish backing them up before you start playing with them. At that time, my answer was no. After that conversation, I started on my mission to start adding more personal projects into my creative practice. And I'm still not perfect. I still struggle with creating that space to play, but I'm getting better. I'm so thrilled to have Jessica Drossen on my show. To say I am a super fan is an understatement. Her work is super creative, painterly, fine art, and so full of emotion. Jessica is a fine art portrait photographer based in LA. She specializes in capturing and editing portraits with natural light using her own actions, overlays, and textures. Now, what I love about Jessica is her kindness, her grace, and humility. She's a huge talent and a total gift to the photography industry. I can't wait to share this conversation with you. Grab a notebook because this one has so many nuggets of wisdom. Let's dive in. So I am so excited to welcome Jessica Drossen to the show today she is just such an inspiration to me personally and i'm just so thrilled to share her with you guys today welcome jessica hi there thank you so much for having me this is a pleasure so i'm going to dive right into some of our questions so when you're working with your subjects i know that creating a mood and a story is fundamental in your process can you tell me a little bit more about that and what elements you're looking for to create the mood and story sure first i guess i'd like to just mention that.
1: I shoot portraits. And so if you're creating portraits, it's a little bit challenging as a genre because unless the viewer knows that person in the frame, often they're not interested. So creating a story, creating some means for them to identify with the person that you photographed is very integral in order to having that photograph or that portrait rather transcend just photographs that we see of other people, thousands of them every day. And it's a little challenging if you're not shooting a celebrity or if you're not shooting nude shots to get somebody to be interested in your portraits. And so that's why storytelling is such a huge element. You need to create a story that is intriguing or relatable or somehow interesting enough for somebody to care and identify or be interested with this stranger that you're presenting them with. So I feel like, you know, the goal is that you create something that speaks to the person who is the viewer. And often that's, that's a challenge. <laughs> I try to tell my stories from a pretty sincere place. I may not share all the details with you, It's sort of like lyrics, I feel like in a song, they can be a little abstract. However, you get a feeling from them, there's something that maybe connects with you, even if you don't know the exact little minutia of the details, there's something that, some sort of a connection. So I I tell my stories from a pretty authentic place, but I may not share all of the little details that go into them because I want the viewer to be able to see themselves. In that portrait, I always tell my models that they are becoming an extension of me. It's a it's a true collaboration, and that they're helping to tell me a story. But I'm also looking at them, and very much as you would cast, uh, and, and even when your client work, I'm I'm saying it like it's a model. But you have to sort of feed off of your story and feed off of that person's story, and then your third goal is allowing your viewer to also be able to see something in that story that emotionally resonates with them. Mm -hmm. I think when I am working with a client or a model, the biggest issue that I have with my storytelling is being able to create a trust and a transparency with my subject. If they have a veil down essentially. If they're so nervous that they're stiff, that their their eyes aren't communicating any sort of emotion, it's just not going to work out. So if I'm up against that and I'm finding it hard to tell stories or to communicate emotions, then typically until that person starts to relax and trust me, I will maybe turn them around. I will have them facing away from the camera. We'll do various exercises to get them to relax to the point that I either bore them enough that they <laughs> that they're able to just sort of go with the flow or they start to see I'll show them the back of the camera and I'll say okay see you you're doing great here and really trying to incorporate them into my storytelling. I hope Mm. that answered the
0: question. It does. It totally does. What I love too, is I follow you on Instagram and I love when you share those before and afters of like the location you did one recently where it was like just the flowers and you're like, you don't need special locations. Like it's what you see that matters. And I really love how, you just walk that walk. And it's so funny to like, how are you able to see that and know that it's going to be amazing? Um, Or is it like a lot of trial and error? Well, I think when I was
1: just starting out, I would always see these photographs of different locations or uh, magical places. And I would think to myself, oh, if only I could shoot there, if only I had this at my disposal how amazing my my photos would be and i think at a certain point i realized that i was you know pretty much stuck here in in burbank california which may sound great but (laughs) if you look if you were actually to visit burbank california you would see a lot of sort of dusty hills and a lot of urban sprawl and There's things that are quote-unquote cool, you have to get permits, and they're quite expensive in order to be able to shoot them. So I tend to, at a certain point, I figured out I'm going to have to see a little deeper here. And strangely enough, I wonder if maybe when I was first starting out in photography, a lot of how I learned to shoot manually and how to, how to understand light happened from shooting flower images in my backyard. Mm -hmm. So I would go up with my nifty 50 and I would shoot early in the morning or in the evenings, get up real close and tight and then play with my processing, play with all that stuff. But I think that sort of started introducing me to this idea that through uh, a good lens choice, through your positioning, through, the perspective you're shooting at, through your processing choices, so much can be transformed if you are open to thinking about it. And then it is crucial, like I, I mentioned in that post, I, I mean, it was sort of a flowering bush. And I asked her, I, I first I had her behind the bush, and that really wasn't doing what I wanted it to do. And so at a certain point, I asked this high school senior and I'm literally at a park. There are children playing. <laughs> I said to her, so do you think maybe we could just get inside the bush? <laughs> and it wouldn't have worked had she not been able to, you know, have you we, know, we obviously we did a little, we had a little struggle and I tried not to hurt the bush. I don't like <laughs> to break things that I've, I'm photographing or, or hurt, you know, whatever. But, um, we struggled a little bit. We got her inside comfortably. I was able to move some branch on. She was able to, you know, just with her leg and maybe a finger, you know, push some some flowers around so that I could get a good view. And then it was very important that I was able to get her just to relax enough in a bush with children playing <laughs> around. Uh, I could get the shots that I wanted uh, to, to share something like that. Generally, people enjoy it because I don't have – phenomenal locations. I can see a lot though in a little. <laughs> yeah.
0: And you're a master at that. Cause I'm always just like, no way. No way. Yeah. Because I remember even when I was, you know, I've been doing this almost 10 years now. And I remember um when I was first getting started thinking, you know, I similarly have very limit to where I can shoot that looks good. Yeah. Um and I know like when you like being able to be vulnerable with sharing that online is so helpful for those that are just getting started and for us that have been on the journey for a while too. Well, I mean, it, it's really,
1: the beautiful thing is I'm here in a very densely urban and populated environment um, of Los Angeles. There are tons of photographers. There's tons of photographers in Burbank. Literally no one's at my locations. Why? Because <laughs> <laughs> my locations do not look like where people would want to shoot. But they have good light, and I can figured out how to use them, or or whatnot. And that's a that's fantastic. I'm not standing in line for five other people, mm. and it's a great thing to be able to just sort of open your mind to noticing interesting things around you, whether it be roots on a tree that you find fascinating, or a, a little bush, or or whatever it is. But a lot of times those random things can lead to big inspiration. Mm,
0: So true. Good point. Now I know so much styling also goes into your images. So I know I personally, I love styling. I nerd out on especially fine art children's portraiture wardrobe and historic stuff. Um, But do you have have some styling advice maybe for someone who struggles with it?
1: You see something in my work that I don't see
0: Mm. or I don't realize
1: Mm -hmm. because I don't particularly think of myself as someone who styles a lot, perhaps because I'm seeing other people's work on social media and I see incredible attention to details and hair and makeup and it's down to the shoes and every little detail is so perfect. My typical shoot is one of my you know, friend's daughters is coming over to my house. I'm rifling through a closet, finding something that will fit her, And we are getting in it. And then I usually ask them not to wear makeup. I will perhaps 10% of the time put on maybe a little gloss. 5% of the time add some mascara. (laughs) And sometimes I will braid their hair and put in some bobby pins or a little thing or 5% of the time curl it. But I don't really do very much. I really don't. I'm really relying on that person's natural beauty and natural look and then the environmental things that I find around them and wind or uh, reflections or whatever else that there is to do a lot of that styling for me. My whole goal is to just get out there as fast as possible and start shooting and playing with things and I will someone will be laying down let's say in some leaves and I will be you know arranging their hair I will make a braid right then and there and put some leaves in it but I I do these things very spontaneously and impulsively Mm -hmm. because what I found out a long time ago for me if I get really into let's say headdresses or even certain kind of couture dresses i have to be very careful that i'm thinking about the story more than i am the prop more than i am the wardrobe more than i yeah. am because it's a very different thing it's not that it's bad but one's a fashion shot and the other's a story yeah and that can be a difficult
0: balance absolutely so how are you, how are you coming up with the story well i kind of feel like i maybe i'm nuts
1: are we all we're all a little nuts (laughs) Uh, it doesn't take me a whole lot I think it's why some of my classmates in high school thought I was weird it really doesn't take me too much to think of a story on the fly or to be inspired to to tell something now whether that's coming from my emotions of the day or something that's happened to me or something that I'm recalling in the past or if I simply am just getting inspired by, let's say, the season or inspired by my model or inspired by some lyrics that I just heard or a poem I just read, I'm constantly having ideas bounce into my head and thinking, oh, that's beautiful. Oh, that's so touching or moving or so. I, I don't really struggle with that. I struggle more with self-editing and mm calming my brain down so that I can focus and get through one image at a time as opposed to doing 70.
0: So I know that you're a big mentor to many people, but I would be curious to know who some of your most influential and creative mentors or influences have been. That would absolutely
1: for me be Annie Leibovitz and Mm -hmm. it's her range of work. It's the depth of her work. The, The photo that she did of John Lennon and Yoko Ono, just without any props, anything it tells this amazing story and then she can go off and work with Disney and create these fairy tale images. So her diversity, her range she has a little bit of a benefit in that she is working with celebrities who by their celebrity nature carry with them a certain degree of story and we we sort of think we know them but she transcends that plenty of people take photos of celebrities. I feel like she turns it on their head she has a certain wink in her style that that acknowledges how we know them and then gives it a little twist. And so I think for her just constantly evolving into what she's doing and telling interesting stories and uh, consistently making great portraits, she'd be the person that I'm always looking at. and And not like every week, but Every six months, I will think, you know, I want to just check out and look at some of her stuff again. And whether she's using motion or texture or black and white, it's always something very unique and it's signature and it's storytelling and it has a degree of just profundity that blows me away. Mm-hmm. I also, if there's one other person that I think about and it would be helpful to share, I have to say, when I was in school, I was a painting major. And I had this super grouchy old painting professor. And so I'd be painting portraits. I was always into portraits. I just used to be more of a painter with them. And I would be, you know, really working on the face. And then from the face, I'd be really working on the eyes of my subject matter, whomever that was. And he came by me one day and he said, you know, your painting as a whole would be a whole heck of a lot better if you were to just Right now, take your paintbrush and just blur out that whole eye." And I went, because that was my favorite part. That was the best. And he said, you're compromising your whole image for one little detail, and it's making your painting weak. And I went, wow. So he really taught me that if I focused in on just one little tiny important thing, I would lose the whole. And I tend to think about that. And if I ever get really microscopic on little areas, it tells
0: me that I'm missing the big picture. Mm. So that's that's a good lesson. That's a really good (laughs) lesson. Now, your images evoke so much emotion. Do you know where you are going to go with an image while you're shooting it? Or does that come after? I think that's a little bit of a partnership.
1: I have a rough idea of where I'm going with an image when I'm shooting it. I, I think I see a degree of how I want to shape it in post later in my head. But I think I used to, many years ago, I would draw out very detailed scenes, actually particularly for client work. Let's say if I had four kids or something that I was shooting, I would very much draw out my poses and draw out how I was going to compose things. And then I realized that almost inevitably I was not able to achieve my sketches (laughs) in real life. And so I very quickly learned that I was much happier if I were, it's much more stressful, but I was much happier with the results if I simply came in and in that moment, evaluated the situation, evaluated what my assets were in terms of the location and the personalities and started making decisions on the fly based upon those factors. So I guess to answer your question, if I've asked a certain model to work with me, or I have a certain client that's working with me, if I have a certain goal, then yes, I I will, to a degree, I'll have the wardrobe that will help shape that or, you know, make the hair to, to sort of shape and work within that concept. But I keep the concept loose enough so that later in post, I hopefully have a little room to further develop
0: it. I hope mm-hmm. that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I love just seeing your before and afters because I'm just like, how on earth did she come up with these concepts? <laughs> well, for example, I mean, I very much did
1: see that that image that you're referring to with the with the flowers. I saw that in my head. Now it was tricky getting there in Photoshop. It, it, I think that's a common thing. We have a vision in our head and then getting there can be a little bit of a struggle, but that was my vision. It just took a little bit to get there. Um, so that was that was a fulfilling image. Yep,
0: gorgeous. Now you have such an ability to make the everyday look extraordinary and I will forever be in love with an image you took of your son splashing in a puddle. I even actually went out and bought a, bought a yellow rain slicker and tried to go do it myself, and it completely bombed because, of course, you can't replicate someone else's work. <laughs> but how often are you pulling out your big camera to photograph your children?
1: I, I try to at least bi-monthly, and I know that doesn't mm. sound a whole lot, but I'm not necessarily someone who is doing the daily photographic documentation of my children and I very much admire those who who can and who do I just I really enjoy photographing them I enjoy their personalities but for me a couple you know a couple times a month is is good but I I do take photos of them and I, I try to do it fairly often but it's a fine line in that for example, you referenced that, that shot of my son and I had him in a little rain slicker and an umbrella and I, I'd happened to have that umbrella from years before and I did get him the rain slicker because I thought to myself, oh, that would, you know, that would really pop and be sort of the iconic image that we remember from our childhood. Yeah. I remember from my childhood of what it looked like on a rainy day. However... The, the joy in that shoot was that I wasn't taking him out all the time because my children get sick of it when I take them out. Because to make it fun and feel more authentic for everybody, I really try to choose my moments and not mm-hmm. lose authenticity when your children are no longer wanting to do something. So if when I photograph my own children... My eventual goal is to be able to have it on my wall and it should feel authentic to me. And it's not authentic to me. If I remember that during that shot, I was saying, "Come on!"
0: <laughs> oh, <laughs> you know? you're preaching
1: to the choir. <laughs> yeah, crazy mom. So I, I do try to limit it. I try to do things that they would enjoy. Like I live in Southern California. We don't get a lot of rain. We had had a pretty good amount. He was at that perfect age where you know, for a child who doesn't get a lot of rain, here I am taking him out to the rain. I've gotten him these these big boots and I am saying, do what you're going to do, son. Have fun. And I'm just, I'm over here. Don't even worry about me. And so those images I love because they're really authentic mm-hmm. and he's truly having fun and I'm not just putting him in some, you know, for years I would, I don't say this badly towards anyone, but for years I would just put my kids in like vintage stuff and say... <laughs> Yep. Do this and they were like, I hate this. <laughs> so I've tried to do things that feel a little more authentic and interesting to my kids. And I don't overuse them to where they get mad at me yeah. or feel like I'm ruining their their <laughs> time. Other than that, the iPhone is really great. Yeah. So for a lot of my personal memories and personal documentation, I'm I'm using the iPhone and I save that big camera for those special moments so I don't burn everybody out. And then my other ideas. I used to use my kids, especially Jacob, as my guinea pig for everything when I was first starting out because I was nervous to use other people on my ideas and not know if I was going to be a disaster or whatnot. Now I'm, I'm at a stage in my career where I, I tend to experience, I feel much more comfortable experimenting with other people and I'm not using my children as guinea pigs all the time. And I think everybody's a lot happier. I think the whole key of photography or art is allowing yourself to say, okay, this is a challenge. They they won't let me put on a newsboy hat on them anymore or whatnot. I and I because I used to do that. Now they want to be in a hoodie or they want to be just with their baseball stuff. And I think rather than trying to convince them to go our way, the challenge and what's going to grow us in our art is to think about okay, this is how they want to be presented. How can I do this in an interesting way? How can I grow my style? How can I grow
0: my, my talents and my eye in a new direction? So I love me some actions, and I'm pretty sure I have all of yours. But a number of years ago, there was a bit of action shaming, and people didn't <laughs> want to admit they used them. <laughs> so what thoughts and advice do you have on this, especially as someone who creates them? Well, here's the thing.
1: Number one, uh, let me just address shaming in general. There's a lot of shaming that goes on in the photography industry and in social media. And I feel like the best thing that I did when people were saying all of that stuff and like everyone had to make a special paragraph about how this is all hand edited was that I just ignored it. And I didn't take it personally. I don't think it was ever, I I had to take a step back and realize no one was saying I'm a bad person because I use and make actions. I, I, I think it's very easy to feel defensive on social media. And so I had to learn to let that go. Number one. And I had to learn and really, I had to really think about, what was I doing when I was making an action? Well, essentially, the reason that I like them so much is they're they are like a recipe. Would you make some food for yourself, have it come out delicious, and then not write down what you did so that six months later you've forgotten? It makes sense. It speeds your workflow. It allows me... I use my own, the reason I built auditions into my actions is because I look to my own actions for inspiration sometimes on color choices, uh, different values, uh, all sorts of different things. So to me, I always found it a little confusing why people would shame that. I have plenty of people who have purchased my actions, and when I look at their work, even when they share their work in my Facebook group and say, I used, you know, X action. Had I just seen that image, I would never think that they had used my action. Because the beauty of actions, and to a degree presets too, obviously, is that you are still in the driver's seat. I'm not making actions that are flattening an image. There are many Hand adjustments. I like to think that I'm creating actions for hand editors, if you will. Yeah, because exactly. you are you are expected to mask, you have opacities you can deal with. You can turn things on and off. You can make combinations. It's going to be yours. You don't have to learn all of the little things that took me years to learn in Photoshop. So hopefully it's more about getting to your vision faster. I'm not trying to give you my vision. I'm trying to allow you to find your own in a way that feels more artistically rewarding than getting buried in technicalities of Photoshop. So when people say things like that, when they action shame, because I get that on my ads too, why don't you be a real artist? And (laughs) on my good days, I ignore it. And on my bad days, I will engage and I will say things like, Okay, well, back in the film era, people would pick certain specific kinds of film and they would go to certain labs. And if you are an artist and you are a painter... You don't. How many people were mixing their own colors? No, you are going and you are buying cobalt blue and titanium white. And they are specific shades from specific vendors and they are allowing you to fulfill your vision. Are you stretching your own canvas? Are you there? It it becomes for whatever reason, and I don't know why, but for whatever reason, people in photography get so wrapped up in the craft aspect of it sometimes that they forget the art aspect of it. Yes. And to me, I think they're ignoring a lot of what art since essentially Dadaism has been, the direction that it's been going, which is in a museum right now, I can go visit Marcel Duchamp's uh, fountain, which is a urinal that he grabbed off of someplace and it is currently hanging in a museum because... It's about the concept. It's about what you are trying to say. It is not about if we have a similar tone in our image or if you're using my my snow action for something. That doesn't make your art less. Andy Warhol had other people working on his images in a factory. It's about the intention that you are trying to show. It's about the story you are trying to tell. I get much more... Weirded out, I guess, when I will see something that looks exactly like something I've just done. (laughs) You're like, right? (laughs) But I've also learned to let that (laughs) go because it just doesn't. It doesn't really matter, as long as I'm really focusing in on what I'm doing and what I'm loving, and I'm trying to create things that are ethical. That aren't copying others, if I'm trying to provide a good value and provide ways that people can intuitively work with my stuff so that it is about their vision, not about me stamping mine on their art, I I think it's all good. Um, It would not make sense for me, nor could I fulfill my visions with only a camera and traditional things. Why? Because I don't have a big set. I don't have access to you know all the wardrobe, or locations, or permits, or a crew that I would need to do that. So Photoshop for me is it, it's leveling the playing field. I can now have images where I'm going to try to compete with Annie Leibovitz. <laughs> I'm not saying I compete with Annie Leibovitz. I'm just <laughs> saying I can go after that. Yeah. Why? Because of Photoshop. It is a tool, and I think a lot of people are very threatened by that. It shouldn't be. I think it's allowed a lot of quote-unquote amateurs, uneducated people who still have an eye and have a story and a vision to create very interesting and intriguing art. And I think that's really threatening to some people. Yeah. So when I see people saying, oh, they're just photoshopped, what it's telling me is they're very threatened. Yeah. And why be threatened? This is art. There's room for everyone. It's okay yeah. if people don't like my work. That's okay. But, you, you know, why do we have to be mean
0: about it. Just yep. move on. There's exactly. other people for you. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Oh, that was beautifully said. So why would you say having personal project is important to you to grow as an artist? Well, okay.
1: So Lisa, we've been around a while,
0: right? Yes.
1: <laughs> in, the, in the, at least the photography social world. I mean, how many people when you started off are no longer in the business or taking pictures? Would you say 75 or 80%? Yeah. I would say at least that. Yeah. And I think a lot of that is due to burnout and due to maybe like chasing as algorithms have changed and styles have changed. At the end of the day, if you aren't interested in what you are doing and what you are creating and the stories you're telling, you're not gonna convince anyone else to be interested either. And so you have to really think about coming from an authentic place. There's oftentimes a bit of a herd mentality that something becomes popular, everybody goes there. That isn't necessarily, maybe that will make you happy, but not necessarily. The, The thing that's gonna make you happy, I think with art is number one, feeling like you're growing, but number two, expressing something about yourself and for yourself, or for somebody that you love. You're writing, you know, you're writing your own books when you take photos, and you're doing them for yourself. And so if you're putting out images, hoping just to get a lot of likes, or hoping that somebody's going to hire you for this, essentially, you're kind of, it's like, you know, when you're, when you're, I was in track, I was terrible. However, they taught me in track that when you're sprinting, you're not supposed to be looking over your shoulder or looking at everybody else. You're supposed to be looking forward. That's how you get someplace the fastest. And so you have to really focus on what, what do you want to say? What are your needs today? What is beautiful to you? And I think once you do those things, and the more you do those things, even if a, an image gets 10 likes, as opposed to another image that gets 1,200, you may like that image that gets 10 likes more. And that was important for you to do. And you don't have to feel shamed because only 10 other people gave it a like. Yeah. Who cares? It's social media. It's a weird algorithm. Maybe you posted it at the wrong time. Maybe you had a bad word in there, like free or something. You <laughs> have to get beyond that. You know, I I oh I hate I I tried to not go on a sidebar, but I watched this great documentary last night on Duran Duran, right? From oh. the 80s. Yeah. And I was a fan. But, you know, Duran Duran put out some albums and they had a flop and then they were written off. You guys are an 80s band. Forget it. No one wants to hear your music. And then they came back and they did Ordinary World. And Mm. I forget what the song is now, but they were just they're my two favorite Duran Duran songs. They're beautiful. They evolved. But they were saying how hard it was almost to create again after they'd had a flop. But then they sort of got used to it and they weren't afraid of flopping after that. So allow yourself to fail, allow yourself to flop, dust yourself off, and start thinking about your next project. And that's why it's important to create for yourself. It's really a problem if you're so focused on the last thing you did. You have to be focusing on the next thing you're going to do, even if that's something you assign yourself. I
0: often find I get two in my head and I, I get afraid of even creating because I'm scared to fail. And so I sometimes just won't even try. The
1: goal here is producing work you care about. I look at famous filmmakers and I've heard some interviews from them and they talk about how they don't know when they're making a movie, if it's going to be a hit or not. A lot of times they'll think it's going to be, but it's something it doesn't come together. It doesn't connect with the audience or maybe it connects with an audience 10 years later. Sometimes they're a little before their time. Um, but they keep working. You have they have their flops, they have their masterpieces, but they keep working. And I think it's really important to put ourselves in in a context with other creatives all the time. Not every song that your favorite artist puts out is one you
0: love. They keep writing more. Mm, that's beautifully said. Oh, thank you. Love that. Love that. All right. So, how do you carve out your niche for yourself as a fine art photographer? Because I think I know personally. Uh, well, I'm, I'm sick of being everybody's photographer for everything, and I'm ready to like kind of just narrow things down a little bit. Fine art is definitely my passion as well, but how did you carve out your niche?
1: I, number one, I don't think it was ne- necessarily intentional. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> it was funny because I was having this conversation with somebody yesterday. They were talking about brand building and how I have built this brand, and I thought to myself, <laughs> I guess I have. I didn't really mean to. (laughs) Or I shouldn't say that I didn't mean to, but it happened organically. And you have to understand, I think a little bit of my past is that I was a graphic designer for years. And I was doing things for everybody else and coming up with concepts for other, you know, coming up for concepts for box art or for advertisements or whatnot. And I really did burn out. And Then I got into photography and I started doing client sessions and this was, you know, I'm not saying that any of this stuff wasn't fair. It was, I look back at my old work from all those years ago and I think, oh gosh, (laughs) I had a long way to go. I was charging. Oh my goodness. But it was, I mean, I, I guess it looked good then, you know, we see things through different eyes now I know, Isn't it funny? Um, and people were happy with what I was giving them, but it was interesting to me because the more that I did it, especially around holiday sessions, the less I found myself enjoying photography. I thought to myself, I need to preserve this joy and this passion that I have. And so I sort of changed my business around and I, I'm actually getting to the point where I think I am going to start doing some client work again, but I I took a break from doing a lot of client work unless it was for uh, companies or licensing, because I still felt like at the end of the day, I was in the driver's seat, no one was... I would have a problem, especially your, early in my career, where I didn't necessarily perhaps take over a session enough so that I was getting my vision out. People would want me, supposedly, for my vision. And then, like everybody else was experiencing, I'd be <laughs> Pinterest shots of like, things that I would never, ever, ever shoot. <laughs> like, oh, gosh! Right <laughs> <Hi there." laughs> And um, so I, I refocused my business on things that I was passionate about and things that I was good at. And things that I loved. So I love making images for book covers, because I'm essentially in charge and people can pick it or not. I loved making textures. I enjoy making uh, backdrops. I enjoy making actions and overlays. I I get a kick out of feeling like I'm collaborating with other artists. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think it's neat. I have worked with corporations because I come from a corporate background with my graphic design. I'm used to dealing with people that have actual budgets and I'm used to saying, look, there's a contract and I'm going to need more than that. Or this, it doesn't feel so personal. I'm not taking yeah. money out of a family's you know, pocket. If I get back into client work, I'm having somebody else handle my IPS yeah. because I'm not good at it. You have to understand what you're good at and what you're not good at. And if you keep forcing yourself to do the things that you hate, you're going to start hating the big picture. So I've identified things that I'm good at and things that I hate and I'm not so good at. And you, you kind of structure your brand, you structure your work to hopefully follow that and stay happy. I'm very happy still creating and doing art every day. And if somebody were to walk over my house right now and, you know, say, Hey, can you please let's go up the hill? And I would I'd be like, okay, and <laughs> figure something out. and I, it'd be four hours later and I'd still be trying to shoot because I'm that interested still. But I think I preserved a space for myself by not I was I didn't allow my passion to get ruined by doing things with my passion that I didn't like overall I mean we all have to do a little bit here and there but yeah. I was very willing to go I, I made this conscious choice that if I was going to get paid I was going to make more money actually with graphic design and have people tell me what to do than I was going to do with photography so I was willing to to break all together from photography just to do what I wanted to do with it and I think to a certain point and this is a little bit sad for me I think there's this idea that Photography can't just be an outlet or a passion or an enjoyment. It's got to somehow make money.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Are you selling it? Are you making posters? Are you doing whatever? And that's great if you're doing it. But I know I wouldn't be here in the mental state that I am today were it not for photography. Photography has probably saved my life mm-hmm. literally many times. Yeah. It's allowed me to see more beauty in my world. It's allowed me to process difficult things. It's, a, you know, I have to edit. I have to shoot when I'm at my most depressed mm-hmm. because it helps me process it through. And it helps me to work through emotions that I can't necessarily talk about or can't necessarily share. I want other people to feel like they can do that, too. Maybe gardening makes somebody feel better. You don't have to necessarily be selling your, you know, your tomatoes. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I mean? Sometimes like for like little things, people will approach me like, oh, I really want to get this, you know, $15 thing. But I just can't put any more money into my photography right now. And I'm thinking to myself, well, isn't it kind of your joy though too? Yep. And not not that you have to buy from, buy from somebody. Else. I don't care. I'm not. I'm just. I'm merely talking. I'm not talking about making a seller. I'm talking about allowing yourself to have joy and have an outlet and having some. If you're a mom, having some non kid time where you're self invested and you're introspective, you're thinking about your own life and your own stories as opposed to everybody else's life and everyone else's stories that you're trying to fix all day long.
0: <laughs> having a little time to yourself, that is not a bad thing. No. It's creative self care. And I yeah. think we, we really, we forget about that. You know, I, I've had a studio for just over 10 years now and um, realizing that I really dance with people pleasing and my passion, right? Like trying to find the balance where I make both happy. And I've really come to realize that people pleasing kills my passion and saying yes to many, many, many clients doesn't give me that creative space. And I think that many of our students and listeners probably fall into that category too, where you get caught up in thinking that you're supposed to have a business. Like there's only one way to do it. And there truly isn't truly like there's levels of success and redefining what success is for you, I think is super important. I do. I
1: think some people, some people have a great sales and marketing gene and they can approach you know, uh, an IPS session, like a killer. And, and like, that's fantastic. And I am so happy for you. I'm not so much.
0: <laughs> Girl, me too. <laughs> now I want to ask a little bit about getting your mojo back when you're not feeling particularly joyful about your work. If you ever actually get to that zone, um, how, how do you bring yourself bounce How to bounce back from that? Well,
1: I mean, I, I, kind of touched on it earlier that when I'm in a dark place emotionally, and I do, I do suffer from anxiety and depression, particularly after I had my daughter Vivian, I really had kind of a hormone, I don't know, fell off the, um, I I don't know what happened, but it was like a postpartum of postpartums that, that hit me unexpectedly about, you know, a year and a half later, I guess. And it was crucial for me to be doing my photography. And I felt very inspired to to kind of work through those emotions and whether it wasn't necessarily that I was even creating sad images. Sometimes, sometimes I would, sometimes I was creating beautiful and happy images to remind myself of the beauty and the happiness that was there. But I was, I was very much working through a lot of things in my own mind that, hasn't been an issue for me, that feeling of, I just don't want to work. I, I, I pretty much always want to work <laughs> I just I love it. My own problem really. Cause I have, I have three kids and I have a husband and I can't be editing all day, you know, and I, and I don't want to be editing all day, but I think I have a certain amount of that, like ADD where you, where, what you love, you tunnel into and everything else you kind of forget about, I can be that girl. And so it's important for me to, to set limits and, and come back to it. But I don't have a problem with not wanting to to do art. Now, I do sometimes have a problem with creating art and thinking it sucks mm-hmm. and not being happy with it. Mm-hmm. And what's really interesting about that, that, that tends to happen to me, I don't know, like, I, I forget exactly the intervals, but it's a regular cycle of a thing where, I feel like I'm, you know, I'm editing really well. I'm shooting really well. I'm liking everything I'm doing. And then suddenly it's like the floor drops out from underneath <laughs> me. And I'm, I feel like I'm doing tired concepts and I'm doing predictable and I don't like anything that I'm doing. And it just, I like, why did I do that? And really, I posted that. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Shame. Um, but Here's the thing. I work through it. If anything, I work harder through it. I'm very um, pig headed. And so if, if I just put up a a lousy image, dang it, I'm putting up a better one that afternoon or the next day. And sometimes it takes me like a while to put up a better image. (laughs) Sometimes I'm really struggling. And it's almost like, once I break through, I will be able to see it's almost like, there's a filter that goes over my eyes and I can't see certain things until I emerge from it. Then I can really self-critique my work and go, oh, I was doing this wrong there. What it's telling me though, and the reason I've come to love these struggles is when you're having those moments, it means that you're about to have a breakthrough. Mm. It means your mind has figured out some new things, but it hasn't figured out how to translate them yet into your artwork. So you're struggling because your old techniques, you're, maybe you're outgrowing them. And you're trying to figure out new stuff and it's a struggle and it's really easy to feel nervous or anxiety ridden. And maybe you've forgotten how to do everything and what's wrong with me. There's something going on in the background. It's almost like when you have a problem and you go to sleep at night and you wake up and all of a sudden you've thought of the solution when you racked your brain the night before. You just keep working through it. And then suddenly one day you're on a whole different level. You're like, oh my gosh, I'm doing such better work than I was doing seven months ago and I thought I was doing my best work ever. Now that sucks. And <laughs> so I think believing and trusting yourself that even when you're struggling, it's for a good purpose. It's because you are pushing yourself to learn more and to do more. And you're not relying on old tricks anymore. So I think it's just embracing that and sort of loving yourself and trusting yourself and believing in yourself enough to get through those moments, knowing something better is ahead. Love it. Love it.
0: All right. So I've got one last question for you. What are you curious about right now? Hmm.
1: I am curious about how to infuse more meaning in my portraits Mm. because I feel like sometimes I'm creating portraits in a vacuum that isn't necessarily reflecting current times and events. And I feel like with art, I'm not saying I'm creating great art. I, I Being an p- art major makes me think about what the great artists were doing and they reflect their times. And I don't know that I'm reflecting my times enough. I feel like sometimes I'm going to just my own little storybook fairy tale world which, trust me, I love going there. However, there's big stuff going on in the world. And I think as an artist, I am curious about how to do what I do with how to infuse more meaning and more, more currentness, I guess. I do think that's part of storytelling is to reflect where you are. And um, I'm curious about how I'm going to approach that. Mm. I love it. Because I believe it's what's missing from my work right now. Love it.
0: Uh, well, this has just been a yummy conversation. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> thank you for just being so vulnerable and honest and just sharing um, from the heart today. I just absolutely treasure you and yeah. just love our conversations. I just want to make sure if I have an opportunity to talk to people,
1: that what I hope their takeaway today will be is that my biggest goal in talking to you in doing what I do is that I feel like we can have a better world if we are happier and we are expressing ourselves and we are feeling like we have an outlet for saying what we want to say or projecting our world in the way that we want to be. And so I hope that people will think about their own joy more than they think about how people view their work. I hope that they're looking at their work with a certain confidence, even if they're not where they want to be right now, having that confidence to know that they're going to get there. If you look at my old stuff that I did on Flickr, holy moly, I was terrible. <laughs> but I thought I was doing good work. And you have to believe in yourself. And When people tell you that you you don't, I mean, I had a bunch of I've had people all all throughout my career telling me that I'm I use textures and that's stupid, or I use actions and that's stupid, or that I'm all Photoshop and that's dumb, or that I rely on girls wearing dresses, or whatever. You have to push past that and you have to not listen to them, and you have to find your little tribe that is gonna support you and Be the positivity and you have to put on a little bit of blinders so that you could enjoy making your art. And just remember that if you get, if somebody criticizes you, they've criticized me too. And I'm still alive and here and making art and you're going to get through it too. And don't worry about them. Okay. That's
0: all. (laughs) I love it. Thank you so much, girl. Sure. (laughs) You guys, wasn't that a great conversation? I want to leave you with this question to ponder today. Are you creating work that you love? Work that you can barely back up fast enough because you're so excited to edit it? If yes, amazing, I am so thrilled for you. But if that answer is no, asking yourself, what changes do you need to make in order to create the work you're passionate about? Is it booking less clients? Is it stopping a certain type of session you no longer enjoy? Is it doing more personal projects? Is it simply taking a break and having a rest? Because that's okay too. I think being honest with yourself can be both enlightening and extremely hard. I hope this conversation helps you get a little more clear on creating work that you love too. Sending you so much light and love today. We'll see you next time. If you love the idea of bringing more of you into your business and brand, but wondering how, Take our free quiz at themilkyway.ca slash quiz. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.